Well, thank you, Vincent and worship team, and also uh, AV team for faithfully serving us and allowing for us to be able to still meet together, uh, even though we are all in our separate homes. Uh, we, are, we are appreciative of your sacrificial service and uh, being willing to come out to, uh, to serve us, even uh, though uh, there is definitely a lot of concern right now. For those of you who are at home, good morning. We want to wel- uh, offer a warm welcome to you all. Um, who are joining us through the live stream this morning. We definitely miss uh, having you here at church. It's strange walking into an empty building, uh, but we know that your temporary absence from our church building is for the good of our community as we strive to take appropriate precautions and limit the spread of COVID-19. Before we go any further, we want to praise God for his gift of technology that allows for us to meet in this manner during this time. And we also want to give appropriate thanks to God for the giftedness of the individuals who made live streaming our service to you all possible. Uh, they worked really hard just to make sure that this, is, uh, that this is up and running, and we're so grateful for them. As we take the appropriate steps to keep our families and communities safe, we also want to ensure that we are honoring the Lord in our attitude and our response to this pandemic as well. Some well-known pastors have looked to church history this past week to examine how the church responded historically to health threats. Take, for instance, Martin Luther, who chose to stay in his town of Wittenberg in 1527 when a deadly plague hit. And as the plague raged through Germany, pastors and other Christians wondered how they should respond to the plague. Should they stay in health? Or should they flee to protect their families? In Luther's opinion, Christians should stay and minister to those affected out of a desire to compassionately meet the needs of the sick and proclaim the gospel to those who are dying. However, he also knew that some could not stay to help in good conscience because of their obligation to care for their families. And as a result, Luther gave people freedom. To make either choice, as both choices honor God. And both choices strive to act lovingly towards others. We find ourselves in a similar situation today. As we are being asked by our government to distance ourselves from others to prevent the spread of disease. We are similarly free to act according to the measure of faith that we have received. Either to help those in need or self-quarantine. Whatever decision we make, the most important thing, the most important thing for us to consider is how love for God and love for people motivates our choices. And since our love for God should naturally be influenced by a love for God, we want to make sure that our interactions with others should always be influenced by a love for God. Now this morning... We continue in the series that I'm preaching at our church on the one another's. And we're going to pick back up on what it looks like to obey Jesus' command for us to love one another. And as we do so, we will look at the different nuances that come with loving one another. Which by God's providence is helpful for us as we consider how we are to live in trust and love rather than a spirit of fear during these uncertain times. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 12, 9 to 16. 
where we will find two components of love that provide a roadmap for how Christians ought to love one another. Two components of love that provide a roadmap for how Christians ought to love one another. The Apostle Paul writes this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful to you for your word. For how it speaks powerfully to us. For how it tells us how we are to love one another specifically. Lord, we know that in times of fear, it is easy for us to focus on ourselves. To focus on the things that we are concerned about. And while it is legitimate for us to be concerned about ourselves, to be concerned about our families and those we interact with, we also pray that we would not be so consumed with fear that we forget to love the people that you've put in our path. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us, that you would help us strive to practice love for one another. Whether we're stuck at home or whether we go out and we help people, we pray that no matter what we do, that your love for us will be the motivating factor for us to respond in love toward each other. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, the first component of love that provides a roadmap for how Christians ought to love one another are the qualities of love. The qualities of love. The beginning of Romans 12 shows us that reasonable Christian responses to God's love are the renewing of our minds to do the will of God and the willingness to serve one another according to the gifts God gives us. Now, Paul shows us how Christians committed to worshiping God ought to practically live out their faith. He begins in verse 9 with, Let love be without hypocrisy. Now, all of our English translations translate this sentence as a command. It's in, but it's interesting to note that the Greek here has no verbs in this sentence. The word used for love here in verse 9 is not a verb which communicates command. It is the noun love. The verbs let and be are supplied by some of our translations to help us understand what Paul meant. But what we see could be understood like the heading of a new section in a book called Love Without Hypocrisy. Despite the lack of verbs, it's clear from the context that Paul is commanding believers to love without hypocrisy. He does not tell us who we are to love without hypocrisy, but the previous verses indicate that this love 
that is to be shown to others is to be shown to those who are in the body of Christ, since we are all one in Christ. What is translated in the majority of English translations as without hypocrisy is actually one word in the Greek. And it could be understood as sincere or genuine. Both translations of the word are good, but these alternative words, these alternative definitions provide some nuances for how we understand this command. And we'll be interchangeably using those, those uh, synonyms uh, throughout this message. This, hel- this helps us understand that the love that we are to show others is a sincere love. It's not two-faced. It's not a two-faced kind of love, which shows kindness and care on the outside, but inwardly complains or is bitter. Paul will go on to describe genuine love in the following verses. But this opening description to this next section ought to cause us to pause and to think. How can we love without hypocrisy in our lives? How can we make sure that our love is genuine and it's not self-serving? Genuine love is hard work. It's not something that comes easy. But it is something that all Christians are called to do. And since Christ loved us when we were at our most unlovable. And he laid his life down for ours. We too are to display this kind of love to others. The apostle John wrote in 1 John 3.16. We know love by this. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We know what love is because of Jesus' sacrificial love for us. The love that we have for one another should look just like the love that Christ has for us. And this is easy to say and affirm intellectually. But it's more difficult to do in practice. Just how much more difficult it is to love like Jesus loved is seen in the following verses. The first way to love without hypocrisy is to abhor what is evil. Our reaction towards evil, that which is the exact opposite of holiness and what is good, is supposed to be exceeding hate. Please note well that this command to hate what is evil means that we are to hate evil itself. Because of how it is used to deceive many and blind the eyes of those who believe they don't need Jesus to save them from their sins. We should still desire the salvation of people who are lost in their sins. But we are to reject the darkness they are in. We should not permit what God calls sin into our lives. We cannot excuse sinful practices and lifestyles in our lives because these are the things that God has saved us from. And it's for this reason we're told in Romans 6 to not continue on in sin, but are instead to put away the sinful practices of our old lives and live righteous lives. The second way we are to live without hypocrisy is to cling to what is good. So instead of giving evil a foothold in our lives so that we may be tempted to return to our sins, we are to tie ourselves very closely to what is good. They didn't have glue back in ancient days, but 
We can think about this in in terms of gluing ourselves closely, tightly to what is right, to what we know to be right, to righteousness, to what God calls is right. This is what we are to do if we are to have a love without hypocrisy. Third, we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This command can also be translated as love dearly one another in brotherly love. Genuine love for those within the church is supposed to look like the committed and faithful love that is shown among family members. The same kind of love that you ought to show to your family is the same kind of love you show to your church family. Now I know that some of you may not have great relationships with your family or with your in-laws for that matter. But God calls believers to apply Christian love to all our relationships, not just the ones that are easy, but to all of them. Even if the relationships that you've experienced are not the greatest or the healthiest, we are not excused from being devoted to one another in brotherly love because we know from the scriptures how we ought to love one another. Sure, there might be some rough spots as we learn how to love one another in God's way, in a God-honoring way, but we will still strive to love one another as a God-honoring family should. Fourth, we are to give preference to one another in honor. This could also be translated as outdo one another in showing honor. The idea behind this command is not only putting others before ourselves, but to lead or set the example of what it looks like to honor other people. If we are all a part of God's family, we must teach one another by example what it looks like to honor those in our midst, even even if we don't agree with them. We must rejoice and honor the good qualities in other believers because they're family. And they are sinners, just like us. We are to honor those who are put in leadership above us. We are to honor those who are in our congregation. We are to lead out in showing honor towards one another. To care for one another and to elevate one another in our minds. And that could even apply to someone who is not a believer. And we still want to honor them because we believe that every person, every single person, has inherent dignity since every person bears the image of God. And as a result, we want to show them honor. We want to highlight the good qualities that are in their lives, to respect them, to treat them kindly, because we know who made them, and because we know who loves them. Fifth, We are not to be lagging behind in diligence. We're not necessarily talking about work ethic here. It's not work ethic. Although it could apply to work ethic. 
But what we're talking about here is being diligent in our love and service to one another. When we serve one another, we want to do so with excellence and enthusiasm. Unhypocritical love wants to show a good, uh, a good work ethic to serving. Wants to be enthusiastic about it. Sixthly, we want to be fervent in spirit. This command is related to being diligent in the way that we express love towards one another. But instead of talking about the action, focusing primarily on the action, there is a focus on the attitude that believers should have as they serve in love. It's an attitude that is ready and willing to do works of service out of love. The word fervent carries with it the meaning of enthusiastic, excited, or on fire. When we are working diligently, it is possible for us to be embittered the whole way. Right? If someone asks you to do a chore or a task around the home and you're not ready to do it or you're not willing to do it at the moment, but you know you kind of have to, it's possible for you to work diligently at it, to do it excellently, but to still have bitterness in your heart. We can do it without a good attitude. And what Paul tells us here is that love without hypocrisy does not have a poor attitude, even if it works hard. Genuine love has an enthusiastic desire to serve others. Seventh, serving the Lord. Still related to the command to be diligent in love. Christians who are striving to love God by lovingly serving others, understand that service is ultimately an act of worship to God. This can be something we forget, especially when we get tired and it appears that our ministry contributions are overlooked or not appreciated. While the sad reality is that some of our ministry contributions to the church aren't recognized as they should be, this doesn't mean that they are insignificant to the Lord. There are some of you who are at home who tirelessly serve in our children's ministry and you're finally getting a break because of uh, the quarantine. <clears throat> We're grateful for you. We're grateful for you because we know how hard you work to minister to the children who are here at this church. Us pastors, me in particular, tend to make your work a little harder because we tend to go long in our preaching. And we keep the parents up here and we force you to keep watching the kids while the parents are, are uh, still listening to the sermon. We're grateful for, for your hard work and for enduring with us. We know that at times your work is un underappreciated. We know that sometimes parents don't appreciate what you do. We know <clears throat> that sometimes the kids that you serve, they don't make your job easy either. But your ministry is not unnoticed. Your ministry is not unnoticed. Even if some of our people forget you, even if we don't necessarily give you the proper honor that you uh, should get for your tireless service, God does not forget you. You do this ultimately for him. And that's a great comfort, even when you're tired, even when you wonder why the 
short rotation is so small. As we strive to love one another through service during this time of great concern over the coronavirus, there might be a lot of driving, a lot of braving long grocery lines, a lot of cooking and whatnot. The people we serve may not always display appropriate thanks, and while that's not right, we all ought to remind ourselves that we're not doing this for the praise of men. We're not serving them for our own benefit or for our own gratification, but we serve as if unto the Lord. Matthew 25, 31 to 46 describes Jesus' future judgment of our works. And he tells those who care for fellow believers that their acts of care, though certainly for their fellow believers, was also an act of care to him. Because we're all one in Christ. Because we're all one in Christ, ministry to one another is ministry to Christ. So, brothers and sisters, do not weary in doing good. Do not be, do not be weary in doing good. But remember that any, any ministry that we do, it's done unto the Lord. The eighth aspect uh, or quality of an unhypocritical love is rejoicing in hope. The Roman Christians that Paul wrote to, they were not living in times of peace. They had little to be joyful about or to hope for in this world. But the hope found in the good news of Jesus Christ gave them all the hope that they needed in their circumstances. Hope is not the source of our joy itself. But it is the hope found in Christ and the hope of being with him forever that provides Christians joy. Genuine love for others is driven by a knowledge of what lies ahead. Knowing that our sins have been forgiven in Christ because of the faith that God graciously gave us allows us to have a joy that no one can take away. And for this reason, we can continue to love without hypocrisy. Ninth, persevering in tribulation. Because sincere love has at its foundation the hope of Christ coming again for his people, Christians can steadfastly endure or stand their ground in times of trial. Yes, life is not easy. We may experience bitter blows as a result of this sin-saturated world that we live in. But even if we are driven to our knees in pain, We will not be crushed. Like Job, we may fall to our knees in times of deep sorrow. But our faith in Christ will cause us to look to him in our sorrow. To look to him in our pain. And to place our faith in him. Sincere love understands That this world we live in is groaning. It's waiting for God's redemption just as Paul wrote in Romans 8. And as a result, sincere love pushes forward. As Christians love God and his people. Knowing that the hope we have in Christ will not be disappointed. Yes, this pandemic we are facing is scary. It's a crisis we have not seen in the church for quite a while. 
But it's not bigger than our God. It's not. Our faith is rooted in him. It is anchored in him. He doesn't promise that we will be unaffected by this sickness or any other hardships that might come our way during these next couple months. But, but we know two things from his word. He's always good. And he cares for us. These truths don't change. And because of these truths, our love for him will not waver. Yes, we might hurt, but our love will not waver. He will sustain us. He will bring others in the body alongside us to show us his love. And we will in turn eventually be able to return that display of love towards others. Ten, devoted to prayer. This is self-explanatory, but a genuine love for God will lead to a dedication to prayer in the lives of Christians. A strong commitment to prayer is what we want. So it will be manifest in an unhypocritical love. When we talk about prayer, we're not necessarily talking about all of the things that we are asking God to do for us in prayer. It's not the laundry list of, God, will you do this? God, will you do that? When we lift up our prayer requests to God in worship, yes, that is a part of worship, but that's not all that prayer is comprised of. We don't have time this morning to completely unpack how Christians are to prayer, but prayer is so much more than just asking God for things. You know he is not some sort of Christian genie who just answers our prayer requests when he feels like it, but sometimes we still treat him like that. Prayer is a form of worship. As we acknowledge who God is, as we praise him for all that he has done, as we pray for his will to be accomplished here on this earth, as it is in heaven. If you need more resources to understand what prayer is, we have more. But a good place to start are Jesus' teachings on prayer. And then we have some Christian books too. But Jesus is a great uh, is a great tutor for prayer for us. And if you need some recommendations on prayer, you can feel free to email the church. We'll try and uh, give you some recommendations on books on prayer uh, that you may read during uh, this, this time. Eleventh, contributing to the needs of the saints. Since Christian love has a concern for those who are needy in our midst, we ought to have a sincere love for them. And, and the way that we contribute to the needs of the saint is certainly different than when Paul was collecting an offering for the needy saints in his time, since we are much better off in our time period. But this doesn't negate the fact that we are to actively seek to meet the needs of needy saints. For us today, meeting the needs of of the saints could be offering to see in the church or to see who in the church might not be able to get around. Get around to get groceries. Get around to run errands. Maybe get some toilet paper. There's some around still. Could be after the quarantine is over and we are allowed to come back together that you offer to see who needs a ride to church, who's unable to drive themselves. It could be 
seeking out those you know who may not be able to work or find work because of the coronavirus and are in need of some temporary financial assistance. Christians who are truly needy, who truly find themselves in a tight bind during this time, are not to be forgotten or considered second class. Sincere love for other believers will be mindful of other people's needs, and we will seek to meet those needs to make sure that they are cared for. Twelfth, and finally, in our list of what defines love without hypocrisy is practicing hospitality. The original context for this command was to offer hospitality to fellow Christians who were passing through towns as they were serving the Lord as missionaries or traveling teachers. This particular form of hospitality is not as pressing of a need in our day, but we can still strive to extend hospitality, which is literally translated a love for strangers to others. Some of you may need to be creative in in how you show hospitality since you may not be able to invite people over to your homes, especially now. But there are ways that we as a church body can make sure that we are mindful of those who are visiting us, whether they be believers or unbelievers, and show them the love of Christ. We can even seek and strive to continue to show hospitality to those in the church who are not uh, as tied into the church. If you notice that Someone might come on a Sunday and is not necessarily tied into a fellowship group. We don't really know uh, where they're at, or perhaps we just uh, see their face and we recognize that we don't know them, even though they've been here for a while. We can still extend hospitality to get to know them. They are, after all, our brothers and sisters. So we strive to show hospitality to them, to learn who they are, to get to know what they're about. And to love on them as Christ loved us. Loving others without hypocrisy is hard work. And as we just saw with those 12 different qualities, those 12 different commands, a genuine love for others requires Christians to have a love for others that is radically different from how the world defines love. Anyone can hand money to others or do good deeds. Christian love goes beyond that. And requires that we love in the same way that the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of our imagination, or the Jesus of our desired political stances, loved others. This requires for us to truly deny ourselves and place others before us. This requires for us to sacrifice, not in just grand gestures, but in small gestures as well. Being like Jesus is much harder than we think. It's hard, but it's not impossible. And so we praise God that we've been given the Holy Spirit to help us strive to love as he intended us to love. We're not going to do so perfectly. Especially as we begin to try and look like Jesus when we weren't used to doing that. But we will get better at it over time. There's much work to be done in our lives. And that leads us to the second components of love that provides a roadmap for how Christians ought to love one another. And they are the actions of love. The actions of love. Now, Paul had revealed some of these different qualities of an unhypocritical uh, love. But an unhypocritical love is not merely defined by what it looks like in the lives of Christians. It's also defined by how Christians respond to the people around them. 
And in the following verses, Paul explains how an unhypocritical love will cause us to respond to different situations around us. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Persecution should come as no surprise to Christians. Jesus himself told us in John 15, 18, that if the world hates us, we know that the world has hated him before it hated us. He tells his disciples in Luke 6 and Matthew 5 that despite the hatred we might experience, we are to love our enemies. We're to do good to those who hate us. We are to bless those who curse us. We are to pray for those who mistreat us. To bless someone means to ask God to bless or extend favor to those who persecute them. Remember, Now, in the time Paul was writing, persecution was not merely being bullied or made fun of for Christian belief. It was not a discouraging conversation with someone who pushes back against our evangelism efforts. Nor is it fighting with someone who insults us because of our views. Persecution could lead to loss of actual social status within the community. You might not be able to go to the market. You might not be able to go enjoy all of the things that the city has to offer. It could lead to public shaming. It could even lead to death. Persecution was not a painful prick. A temporary pain that lasted for but a moment and then moved on. It was so much more. And yet, Paul, echoing Jesus, tells believers that they are to call God to bless or show favor to those who persecute them. They are not to retaliate or pray that God would retaliate on their behalf like some of the saints in the Old Testament asked God to do on their behalf. Instead, they were to ask for God to bless. Asking God's favor to be shown towards our enemies is not necessarily a prayer that asks that God gives them material blessing. But it could be thought of as praying for their good in terms of asking God to save them from their sins. By resisting to pronounce God's curse or wrath on others, we demonstrate the same mercy Jesus extends to his enemies on the cross. And we are to respond like Jesus to those who persecute us. The next response Christians ought to have towards others is found in verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sincere love towards others responds sympathetically to those God brings into our lives. And this type of sympathy that we are to show others are challenging manifestations of Christians' love for others. When we are genuinely happy for other people, it's it's easy for us to rejoice with them. However, it can be difficult for us to rejoice with those who rejoice when another person's blessing and happiness is either at our expense or something that we wanted for ourselves but have been thus denied. The list of disappointments we can face in our lives are numerous, but a genuine love for another person will not respond to another person's joy, to another person's blessing with envy or bitterness. Even when it's hard. 
Weeping with those who weep is far easier than rejoicing with those who rejoice because it's easy to be compassionate to those who are hurting and to grieve with them in their hurt. Rejoicing with those who rejoice could at times mean that we choose to genuinely rejoice with others even if it means that their joy is something that we've desired for a long time or think that we deserve and we don't get to be joyful for ourselves. We have to be joyful for them. In so doing, though, as we do the hard thing of rejoicing with those who rejoice, even when it comes at great cost to us, or even if we're denied something that we want, in, in, in so doing, we consider our brothers or sisters as more important than ourselves. Did someone get into the college that you wanted to get into, and you're left going to community college? Did someone get the job that you were applying for? And because of that, you're on the outside looking in. Still without employment. Still without that dream job. Did one of your friends, who you think is pretty immature, not really ready to date, get, a, get into a dating relationship? There are a lot of these different types of joys that some people experience in life that sometimes we're denied. And it's, it's hard to consider them as more important than, than ourselves, to rejoice with them when they're rejoicing. But we are to still consider others more important than ourselves. That's something that Paul calls us to do in Philippians 2. And he reminds us of what Jesus did. Jesus did that for us. He became a man. He died on the cross for our sins. He did not deserve to die for our sins. He was completely innocent. He was completely righteous, completely holy. He committed no sin. He did not need to die. And yet he chose. He chose to sacrifice himself on the cross because of his love for us. And so when we choose to rejoice with those who rejoice, rejecting bitterness, rejecting envy, we imitate Christ by considering others as more important than ourselves. And that is no small task, but it's a small picture of the gospel and its great power to cause those who lived only for ourselves to desire to live for God and for his glory. The final actions of an unhypocritical love for believers are seen in verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. When believers are called to be of the same mind towards one another, this does not mean that we're all supposed to think the same thing about everything in our lives. For those of you who are married, you know that you and your spouse don't always think the same thing about everything. Right? You differ. You have different preferences. This command is not saying that we all have to think the same about every issue in life. However, it is a command to think the same thing towards one another or have a same concern for one another. It's a call for us to not show partiality towards one another as we strive to love one another as Christ loved us. To have an impartial love for other people. 
to treat everyone the same way, to think to treat everyone the same way, is more easily accomplished when we are not haughty of mind or prideful in our thinking. When we choose, we choose to humble ourselves by serving those who are in need, we remind ourselves that pride has no place in the, in, in the Christian life. Since Christians are all a part of the same body of Christ, we all equally share in him and his inheritance. Yes, there are some of us who have different gifts. Yes, some of us who have the same gifts might have it in different capacities. But there is no such thing as a spiritual aristocracy in the church. There is no such thing as an upper or lower class spiritually. We are all a part of Christ. Race, financial status, education, whatever it might be, does not separate us. We are different, but we embrace those differences by loving others and helping those who are in need. When we remember humility, we will love one another and respond to one another with a genuine love. Finally, in an echo of Proverbs 3, a love that is unhypocritical is not wise in our own estimation. We don't think of ourselves as more wise than we ought to. But we have a proper understanding of who we are before Christ. Since we have been renewed in our minds. Our minds are now completely focused on how to please God. And since we understand that we are sinners, that we are fallen... We know that our wisdom is not necessarily the best. Just because our consciences are not bothered by what we're doing doesn't mean that we're not sinful. Doesn't mean that we're acting um, wisely. We could still be acting unwisely. We're just too foolish to realize that we're acting unwisely. And so... If we are to have a genuine love for one another, if we're to respond in genuine love towards other people, we are not to be wise in our own estimation, but to be humble, humble listeners, humble and active listeners. These actions that are associated with an unhypocritical love demonstrate just how different Christian love is from the world's love. It stems from a renewed mind, a mind that has been transformed by the gospel and seeks the good of others because of a love for Christ and a love to do what pleases him. Christians act differently to different stimuli in our lives because the word of God has transformed us to the very core of our beings. Even though we will still struggle at times, to always display this radical love that Christ has shown us to others, we know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, it will be possible for us to love others as God in Christ has loved us. The reaction to COVID-19 this past week has been all over the map. Many are afraid and panicking. Some are completely indifferent. Others of us are somewhere in the middle. However, an interesting theme has recurred in the many responses that people have shared online. Star athletes and celebrities are telling people to stay healthy, to be safe, and to love other people, since discrimination and selfishness will not solve the problem. 
friends are reminding other people through their social media that we ought not give in to the panic, but are to be loving towards the store workers who have to deal with people who are afraid. And of course, we are all being reminded of how we ought to be loving to those who are not as well off and may be pushed even further in their desperation in these difficult times. So love is being offered as a part of the solution. It is the constant theme that we hear as a part of um, a part of our solution to COVID-19. And I would actually agree that it is the right answer, but for a different reason. It's not just so that we can feel good about ourselves, feel good about our, how we have contributed to the moral well-being of our society. Love is the answer because... The gospel of Jesus Christ commands that we love one another. It commands that we actually be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ so that in all the different ways we are to show love towards one another, people can see the great love that Christ has for us in us and in our actions. We are a picture of God's love to others. And these many qualities of love these uh, that, that, that we studied this morning, we are to show others, is a humbling challenge to us to present our entire lives to God in our, as our spiritual service of worship. These qualities of love help us see that we cannot grow complacent in our love and knowledge of Christ, but we must continue to grow to be like our Savior in our sincere love for Him and each other. We're going to need that, especially when we're week two into this quarantine situation with no sports and no other distractions, and we're stuck with each other. And we have to realize, oh, I actually have to love this person who lives in my home. I actually have to consider them as more important than myself. Showing Christ's love towards one another is hard. But we must continue to strive to show these, uh, these qualities of love towards one, towards one another. The actions of love help us see that acting more like Jesus is not just an inward quality that we work on for ourselves. But it's an outward action that demonstrates the love of Jesus to the world. Showing Christ radical love to the world. It is difficult. It will cost us something. But it is entirely worth it. To show people the king who loves them. And gave himself up for them. As we strive to respond well to them. Even when they're not treating us well. During these challenging times. I encourage you not to waste your time as keyboard warriors on social media but to grow to be more like Jesus, making the most of the time since the day of the Lord draws near. I encourage you to seek out others in the church, to have genuine fellowship with one another. In the coming Sundays, what you can do is instead of watching in your own home, have small gatherings with others. Watch the service together. Have fellowship with one another. Ask each other questions about what they've learned. How God is growing them. How God is challenging them. Have genuine fellowship with one another. Don't just sit in your bed and just watch the sermon on the, on the TV. But, but actually love one another. 
I encourage you to strive to minister to the unbelievers that God has placed in your life so that you can be a witness to them. Show the body of Christ and those who are unbelievers the great power of the gospel so that God may be glorified. If there are any of you who are listening today who are not saved, you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have not turned away from your sins, please know that despite the uncertainty of the times that God has not lost control. He is still good. He wants you to know how much he loves you. He has been merciful to you thus far and he wants to continue to he wants to continue to show that mercy to you. At least for a time. Because of his great love for you, God sent his own son, Jesus, to save you from your sin by taking on the punishment you deserve and transferring Jesus' righteousness to you. If, if you would only believe in him and leave your sins behind. The hope of salvation from sin that is available only through Jesus Christ is here for you today. There is an urgency for you to respond to it. Don't wait for tomorrow. Believe upon him today. God has been merciful thus far. But there is a day when his patience will run out. He says in Genesis that he will not strive with man forever. Do not wait to be on your deathbed to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Do not wait to leave your sins behind, but do so today. The God who loves you took the steps to bring peace, to make peace between you and him. Will you be at peace with him today? Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful to you for your word. For how these commands for us to love unhypocritically show us how much we need to work on being a loving people. It shows us how much we need to strive to become more like Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would help us. Help us to be more like your son. Help us not to allow for this message to go in one ear and out the other or to think that it's for someone else or to think that There's time, so we'll get around to it when we get around to it. We pray that you give us the urgency to love like Christ now because we know that in these days when we're at at home, that these are the days when it will be the easiest for us to not show love towards one another. It will be easy for us to forget about other people in the church, to forget about other people in our community because we are just focused on ourselves. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a genuine love for others so that the world may see 
your great love for us. We do want to pray right now for all who are affected by COVID-19. We pray for the hundreds of thousands of people who are dealing with this virus. We pray that, Lord, in your timing, if it is your will, that you would bring your healing hand upon them and that you would also allow for them to hear the good news of the gospel and to be saved. We pray that you would give our world leaders wisdom as they strive to respond appropriately to this pandemic. And we pray that you would uh, allow for them to push the politics aside and to really care about people. We pray for their salvation as well, knowing that you ask us, you call on us to desire their salvation so that we may live in peace. We pray, O Lord, that you would be glorified in these days. Be with us this week. Help us to strive to love one another, even in the small things. It's your sons that we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Pastor Roger, for bringing us the word. And I uh, just wanted to come up and say a few words to say, uh, say hello to our church family out there. I was watching uh, just as uh, online uh, that there's 160 of you uh, devices out there. I'm thinking an average of two per device. Uh, that's 320 of you. Oh, our attendance is increasing. So praise the Lord with me. Uh, rejoice. I hope that uh, you are being blessed at home. I hope you found it a wonderful time. Uh, don't get too used to drinking coffee while you're watching service out there. Uh, we look forward to gathering back together uh, soon to worship the Lord uh, with all of us here. I just wanted to not only just, uh, again, just affirm what just Pastor Rogers preached to us this morning. Uh, really, the, when times like this happen for our, our world, our church, we really just do go fall back to that which is the most important things. Uh, the most important thing to, is our love for God, to make sure we have a right relationship with Him. And, and I, I know all of us are really thankful for the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ uh, that guarantees a, a hope of eternal life and hope of a, of a kingdom with Him. But also... Uh, we realize the two just as just so uh, powerfully that the importance of showing our love to through to God by showing our love for one another. So I hope that uh, as uh, you are out there kind of going to work, maybe some of you are still going to work, some of you are just ministering your families or in just in your neighborhood, that you would show the love of, uh, love of the Lord Jesus Christ to all those around us, that we would uh, truly be the light that uh, Christ calls the church to be. Uh, I also just want to express my our appreciation to our our worship ministry, especially our AV team back there. If I could just you know give them a, a prize or just woo, you know I would just do that because uh, man they uh, they really did a fantastic job this week. Uh, those of you that are online, just yeah, you should just like chat right now and say yeah, AV team because uh, they are awesome. They put out they don't they just didn't just put up a little webcam to do this for all of us. Uh, that's how I would do it, webcam and you know just span the whole room, but. They put up a really serious, excellent production, really, of producing this whole thing together. And I thank God uh, for the brothers and uh, out there, and especially, and I appreciate our worship ministry teams too that have all shown up this morning to uh, to serve us and to lead us in worship. So thank you to everyone who's just being a part. I also want to just encourage our body. We're 
Uh, if you guys didn't hear, our city has uh, extended, uh, just shortly after my last email, the, a restriction to gatherings of 100 or more, even through, through April. So that's, that's going to impact our, our Easter, Good Friday services. So uh, our elders, we're, we're, we're going to be meeting together, our pastors pray, uh, too. We're going to be thinking about ways that we can uh, look for ways to increase uh, opportunity to have community without gathering together. So whether that's going to be blogs, whether it's going to be more chats, so we're going to be, uh, you know, uh, doing AOL Messenger or, you know, or, or Slack, whatever it is that you guys do. Um, we will try to find ways that we can gather together, meet together, be encouraged. Uh, so if you can think of ways, you got ideas, feel free to send them to us uh, as well. Uh, we're all just praying together, working together as a church family. Again, thank you so much for joining us to worship this, this Sunday morning. I uh, look forward to seeing you uh, in next week or, well, even sooner online or um, if Lord providentially leads us uh, in person. Uh, continue just to trust the Lord and uh, just be encouraged uh, by, uh, by the word that was preached this morning. Let's love God and let's love one another. Uh, so, wonderful time. Uh, you're dismissed? Okay. God bless you this week, brothers. Thank you.